She slapped at the linoleum with her open hand. She'd been frying an egg. Her ring clapped the air. All those children. Who is flying these things? My father's connection to the crash was tenuous. A man on board had been the brother of a classmate of his. There were telephone calls, so many of them, and then a frantic hustling on my father's part that culminated two weeks later in an office near Hartford, where he agreed to represent ten of the affected families. By then, my father had collected enough information to believe he had a case. There was evidence that executives from the airline knew the plane's engines were damaged. At airports along the coast, word had spread of lazy safety upkeep, mechanical ignorance, pilots capable of flying a six-ton bomber but unfamiliar with the relative delicacy of such a small aircraft. One night before it all really started, I found him at our kitchen table in his underwear, blueprints and memos and cigarettes scattered in a mess. It was a new plane, and apparently something this new shouldn't have crashed. Can you win? I asked. He moved to make a space for me at the table and asked me to sit down. What do you see? He asked, pointing to the diagram of an airplane engine. Gibberish, I said. Squiggles? He laughed. Me too. He wasn't the best person for the job, something he likely kept to himself. He had been an ambulance chaser before all of this, your average slip-and-fall-and-sue attorney. And if for any reason my mother needed to get a hold of him in those days, her best bet was to search the waiting areas of the city's emergency rooms, where invariably he was sure to be camped out with his coffee, his cigarettes, and a stack of his business cards. His arrogance was often mistaken for the genuine artifact, skill or competence, or some combination of the two. His strategy was to charge only a small retainer fee, enough for us to pay our rent and to eat and occasionally to see a movie. In return, he demanded a larger-than-usual portion of any potential winnings. He claimed that it would be difficult to emerge with a victory. The arrangement, he told his new clients, was a safe bet. The number of plaintiffs grew, These calls came sparingly at first, waking us at night, a bereft mother sneaking away to call my father while her husband slept, a PFC in the army stationed in Okinawa whose father had died and whose brother could not be reached. Letters arrived. Two Cuban women had stood waiting at the airfield in Miami, unknowing before word arrived. The abbess of a Connecticut orphanage wrote, claiming to represent one of the children. The girl had been on her way to New York to meet her new parents. With every call the case became larger, the potential purse of damages fuller, the bustle in our small rented house busier and noisier, and filled every night with the whispered idea that maybe, possibly, if things went perfectly, if the judge saw something the right way, or if the opposing counsel decided to take a certain tack, we, it was always we, might win." The first press photograph of my father was published in the New York Herald in August 1947. It shows him emulating one of Hoover's G-men. A fedora tipped low, covering his face. A fussy double Windsor. Black jacket, black pants, black belt, black shoes. An old gold cigarette on his lip. A charcoal Chesterfield trench coat and a leather briefcase. What do you expect to happen here? A reporter is quoted as asking him. Are you hoping to bring down the entire passenger aviation industry? Do you expect us to revert to the railroads to get around? Is that what you want, Mr. Wise? Bring down, my father answered, laughing. 
What a terrible choice of words. My father was a handsome man. All my life people had said this to me, but I had never really seen evidence of it until he began to appear in the papers. His thin face, pointed cheeks, a cupid smile, a rumor of white in his widow's peak. The first time we saw his picture in the news, my mother told me that publicity made a man more beautiful. She put her fingers down onto a photograph of him. His eyelashes, she said. Look, he's got the eyelashes of a lady. The attention didn't surprise my father. He had a certain glint in his eyes that seemed to imply he'd expected something like this all his life. Lucky for him that in those days the class-action suit seemed revolutionary. The idea that big business could put lives at risk without recourse seemed to tap at some primal suspicion seeking a new home after the war. People love an enemy, and without the Germans or the Japanese...